Welcome to the MyPersonalFootballCoach.com Youth Soccer Player Development Podcast, Episode 3 with Danny Buck. Welcome to MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Soccer Player Development Podcast. Discover all the secrets, hints and tips about soccer player development and soccer coaching from some of the leading figures in world soccer. Here's your host, Saul Isaacson-Hurst. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode. Thanks for joining us again. Uh, this episode, I'm really excited about our guest. His name's Danny Buck. He's got 22 years experience of coaching in uh, Premier League Academy football at the highest level. He's worked at Arsenal and Tottenham, uh, Brentford and Barnet. Really had a fantastic career. He's worked with some of the top young players around now like Alex Awobi, uh, Jack Wiltshire, Marcus Edwards, John, Josh Onomar. He's had a hand in all those those guys' development. And I think it's really important actually to look at the best young players around and try and reflect on what sort of things they did when they were young and learn from that process. So he's got lots of valuable information to share if you're a young player or you're a coach about uh, soccer player development. Um, before we get into that, I just want to say thanks as well for all the feedback from the first two podcasts. It's been really great. Thanks for that. And also, it's been very busy for myself. Uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers have again signed up for another year using the online uh, homework program, the mypersonalfootballcoach.com. So uh, really proud of that and it's going to be another great year when talks with a few other pro clubs uh, here in here in England and uh, continental Europe as well so it's exciting times and also got lots of really exciting podcasts coming up with some fantastic guests so uh, stay tuned for that so without further ado uh, let's get straight into it. So good evening Danny Buck thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Um, so could you just tell us a little bit about your, your uh, coaching and playing history please? So there's not much to tell about my playing history. I wasn't a great player uh, at all in any way. So I was just playing Sunday league football and started doing a bit of work, football in the community, lots of community sessions and stuff like that. I had a bad leg break at 18, which um, kind of while I was at home, I spent almost the best part of seven months in plaster. I did a lot of research, um, looking at players, looking at different coaches and that. It was you know, very early internet days there. So it was a lot of reading, get, hobbling down the library and stuff like that. Because um, I made a decision that something I wanted to give a good go at once I got going again. Um, I wrote to a lot of football clubs, got a lot of rejection letters. But lucky enough, Barnett came back. Gary Carse, who, who works at QPR now, who was the Centre of Excellence Director at the time, got us involved in the football and community scheme. Things went quite well with that. And he got us working in the Centre of Excellence where I cut my teeth, working with all various age groups with some great people. You know, People like Paul Davis was doing the under-17s at the time. Chris Ramsey was coming in and helping us out. And uh, it's where I met Sean O'Connor, who's the current um, head of recruitment for uh, NICE uh, 13s at Arsenal and um, one of the best recruitment officers in the country who really uh, helped us out along the way. So that's how it all started, really. Was it? Um, so what, how much coaching had you done before that, before you got that, that opportunity in Barnet? I'd done about three years of football in the community and quite a lot, um, which I think is important. And even while we were at Barnet, the, the couple of years we spent there, Anyone who worked in the Centre of Excellence had to work in the football in the community as well. So we were working with boys, girls, men, people with um, uh, disabilities, different kind of handicaps, mental, physical. And I think, you know, it certainly gave us a real basis of uh, 
um, you know, different skills about how we got across the message and that. So I'd spent quite a lot of time working with all sorts of different scenarios before I actually got the chance with the footballing with the actual uh, centre of excellence. And we, even when that started, we still had to keep doing the footballing community, as I said. So um, yeah, it was. I'd probably done a good three, four years by the time I even got to that point. And what was that like going into Barnet, your first academy stroke centre of excellence job? It was it was good, you know. We had some, you know. Sean done a brilliant job getting the players in. Gary had a real kind of focused ethos about how we wanted to play. You know, we had John Stewart, the manager, who was the manager at the time, who plays a particular way. And Gary wanted the boys to play for the thirds and that, and you know, very much trying to get the the players playing in a way a lot of academies are trying to do now. And we were competing really well. You know, I remember my first game, you know, 20 years ago against the. Uh, uh, Millwall under 11s and we went there and we won 2-1 the boys played so well and Millwall were absolutely flabbergasted but you know players like Scott Sutter come out of that who's now a um, young boys over in Switzerland so uh, a lot of the players when Barnett's Academy shut when they got re- got relegated went on to get scholarships and that not many of them became good pros but one Paul Rogers who ended up at Arsenal and ended up being a pro at Northampton and playing for Arsenal's first team and that so you know a few of the boys come through but it was a really good learning environment, without a doubt. So then after Barnet, you moved on. What was your next uh, academy experience after that? Next one was Arsenal. Um, started with a pre-academy. So my first year there, Sean took us across. He was running the development centre, Hertfordshire Development Centre, and I coached for him there. Um, and Roy Massey, who was the uh, assistant academy director at the time, was great. Got us involved with all sorts of age groups, you know, from 14s, 9s, 10s. And, uh, you know, I did a lot of work with the under 10s, which was Jack Wilshire's age group there and John Joe Shelby. So I was very lucky to work with them very closely at an early age. But basically me and Sean built up the um, development centre, um, worked with all the other development centres, got the very best under 9s we could possibly get, um, ready for the under 9 season, the best under 8s, sorry. And then um, one of the coaches left and I got offered the under nines post at the end of that season. So the boys that we've been fighting to, to get over all the other London clubs was my um, first year in uh, academy football proper. So what was that like going into a, a big club like Arsenal in terms of, I mean, how did that work in practice? Did they have like a quite a set philosophy of how, how they worked or were you free to do things you wanted to do? What, what was the, like the workings of your week there? I mean, it's nothing like the kind of bits we we have nowadays with set philosophies and that. You know, we you knew the Arsenal way. Everyone saw how the first team were playing, and you know, the coaches there at that time were just you know magnificent. You know, Neil Banfield, Dermot Drummy, Steve Bulge. You know, all these guys were working in the academy. You know, what an unbelievable place to kind of work at. And basically, we sat down. They told us how they wanted the players to play, and it was up to us to up to us to implement them. The only things we kind of got told were. You know, keep ball. They wanted to see possession practices. Um, they wanted to have practices where the players were having to receive the ball with pressure behind them. They were quite keen on those bits. But I was left to do what I was employed to do. They liked the fact that the individual kind of technical stuff that I worked, they actually liked that because it was quite a point of difference compared to the other coaches there. And I must say, you know, we were we were left to get on with it. And, you know... So, we lost you a little bit in there, but I think we got that. Uh, just... Um... So in terms of you talk about the individual technical work, just tell us a little bit more about that. What do you mean about that? Obviously, obviously I've, I've worked with you for, 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 for a long time. I've seen you to quality what you do, but just for, tell the people out there who don't know you as a coach, what, what do you mean when you talk about the individual technical work? So Curva was always saying I was quite interested in when I started back coaching when I was 15 years old. And um, 
not being a great player, but I actually was quite good at doing it, you know, unopposed and stuff like that. And I could replicate it quite well at no speed or anything like that, but I could actually demonstrate it okay. Um, and that's what led me on to start looking at players like Zidane and Ronaldo and that, and just took a massive interest into those top players all had a point of difference. They all had exceptional technical ability and how they got it. So I then spent a lot of time researching Claire Fontaine and what happened there and what they were doing and kind of it just built on from there really to be quite honest with you so it just became a big interest of mine and I kind of centered a lot of my early coaching work around that you know I knew I didn't have the tactical knowledge I knew I didn't have the years of experience I had to have something what could I what kind of knowledge base could I build and I built it on those technical bits there and a lot of the stuff that I did even back when I was 17 are things that are, are very prevalent today um, and it's just sheer technical work and I'm an absolute believer in if you're getting the boys at seven you've got a massive window to 12 and if you can absolutely drum in those techniques 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 and those basics all the way through I think you can produce world-class players which we're starting to see now with the likes of Marcus Edwards or your Josh Olimars coming through you know they're the boys that have really been through that intense technical kind of uh environment or learning environment for want of a better word and you just have to have a look at those kind of players that are being produced so um, we'll come on to the, some of those players in a little bit, if you don't mind. But just um, what does that look like in practice then, in your sessions? You know, how, does, how do you get that, that technical work out? What does that look like? It's very mixed. So I'll do, it all depends on the age group. So if you take uh, the early age, age groups, so you're talking sevens and eights for the moment, for example, it would be, so you, maybe your first 20 minutes would be, 15 minutes of unopposed techniques, depending on what you work on, you might work on your cuts. Your cuts are absolutely vital, being able to have ankle strength, ankle flexibility, etc. a big, big, big part of what I do. Um, you'll be working on an element of unopposed technique um, at speed. You know, sometimes you might break it down right to the beginning, talking about the very, very minute detail of making sure feet are in the right position, arms and eyes and body and hip and knee and everything like that. And then going to an element of 1v1 or 2v1, very important that you take that unopposed bit into a decision-making scenario. So depending on what you're working on, you know, if you're working on defending outnumbered, you might work on 2v1s. If you're working on going over players or counter-attacking, then you might work on 1v1s, depending. But always have at least a little bit before you then go into your main element of your session of um, a bit of opposed work. And even if it's defending, there's things you can do with a ball to replicate defending movements to get them having more and more touches of the ball and getting them into the right position. So unopposed and then opposed and then you know, just then replicating that throughout the rest of the practice. I'm just using 1v1s as an example there, but you've got passing, taking on the back foot. You know, if you're working on reverse passes or longer passes, whatever it is, it's have that unopposed start of it to get that fundamental of the technique correct first before you then go into the opposed situation. What would you say about some people who um, who say that you'd, you're, be, you're, you're imposing a technique on a player, that you're, giving, you're, you're you forcing them to do it a certain way and not giving them freedom? Obviously, this is a lot. You know, this is you know quite a uh, controversial subject at the moment, especially on social media. With some specialists, I'm going to put that in a little quote marks talking about you know imposing uh, techniques on players. I think when you say specialist, one of the things that worries me about the online stuff is, is as I touched on my coaching history, you know, I did four years before I even really got a sniff of a proper academy, and uh, there's a lot of people that probably haven't done four years at the moment that. Are, making very very strong opinions based on very little experience and i think it's not it depends what you're working on 
So the players should always be allowed, if they've got a skill, and I'll use a skill for an example, if they're really proficient at doing it a certain way, you should let them do it that way. So when we do unopposed techniques, like the Ricardo 6 move, which obviously you know well, which has come from Ricardo Moniers that we worked at Tottenham with, I will show them the basis of the moves, and then it's up to them to freestyle and make those moves how best they see do them. Now, for something like where you do like the V movement, almost a puskus, we actually work that to increase ankle flexibility. So I want them to use the insides of their feet to increase their ankle flexibility. You're only working that to do that. If you want to go and you can work it with an outside or whatever, you go and find your own way. And I think that's the important bit. Really, all you're trying to get them doing is to the point of becoming dynamic, becoming, you know, both sided, becoming you know, having that mindset of being able to do something different to the other players and then they find their way with it. Josh Bowie, who's a player we had at Brentford who's just moved to Man United, was a great example of that. You know, we would show him, we would talk to him, we would refine his favourite way of doing it and then he would go and practice it. So I think the only people that are imposing moves on them are the people that haven't got the in-depth knowledge and I think that's one of the dangers of technical practices, trying to teach a technique that you're not 100% au fait with. You know, you're almost guessing like someone will see Ronaldinho and then go, you've got to teach it like Ronaldinho. That's not the way. You know, you watch Ronaldinho, you watch Zidane, you watch Ronaldo, you watch Rooney, you watch, you know, Hazard and have a look and see what the common traits are. And I think that's where the misconceptions or the mistakes are being made, to be quite honest. I do think, I mean, I think there's a, there's a bit of an information gap in England around skills coaching, around ball mastery and 1v1. I mean, I don't know what, what your thoughts are. That. I mean, obviously, we were lucky to work in a, Club at that time under someone like Ricardo who was very knowledgeable and other people. I mean, do you think there's there's an there's there's an issue? Do you think there's an information gap? Do you think there's not enough in quality information for coaches coming from the from the FA in, in this area? I, I, it's it's a massive knowledge gap. I still can't believe that I almost go in and people see me as kind of someone who knows about a specialist subject when I've been doing it for the last twenty two years. You know, it's like, how can this still be uh, deemed as a specialist subject? It's crazy. I think the difficulty is it's like a lot of things. It's difficult. It's not easy. You have to spend a lot of time looking, watching, trying stuff, error stuff. I think a lot of coaches are scared of demos at times, to be quite honest with you. Player. So I had to go and practice for hours over the park to get it to the point where I was comfortable enough to demo. Um, and I think anything that takes a lot of time or anything that could spark a bit of debate or anything that, you know, you have to really work on, I think people are a little bit worried about. Because as a coach, you know, I remember being a young coach. I wanted everything to look perfect. I wanted everything to be great. I didn't want to be in a situation where I could potentially fail, you know. But I had to put myself in that situation to get to where I've got to now. So, you know, I think coaches have got to be a little bit braver. It's difficult to coach it's hard to coach and you have to know what the, exactly your your know subject is if you don't then you can't teach it that's what i think's hard and that's what i think people are missing out on at the moment to be quite honest but i suppose at the same time we have you go um you can almost empathize with some coaches if you've got these specialists telling them that you know this isn't a way to go you should just be letting them play a game so because of the mixed messages coming you know from for a young aspiring coach it's like who do you who do you listen to? You know, because people talk about evidence. So, you know, what's what evidence have we got that this way works? That this is a productive way of developing players? Have, have a look midweek. Look at Marcus Edwards. I would say don't look any further than that. Have a look at the players Claire Fontaine back in the day produced. Thierry Henry became the player he is because he went through Claire Fontaine. Claire Fontaine did hours of unopposed work, and they had you do a trick, 
and you had to replicate that same trick. It weren't up to Henri. He had to do that same trick over and over again until he was proficient at it before he could then move on. Um, you, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, Sporting Lisbon were unbelievable at that. You know, I, I never forget when we had a player come over from Sporting Lisbon when I was at Arsenal the first time and he would literally put down a cup 25, 30 minutes. And you'd ask him what you're doing. He'd practice single scissor, double scissor. That would always be practicing. So, so just, just say minutes. that again, Danny. So he, you could break up a bit. He'd put down a cone and then he'd... He, he'd put down a cone and he'd just take it on for half hour, just doing single scissor, double scissor. And we used to say to Alex, what, why, why are you doing that? And he says, that's what kind of things we work in Lisbon. They want us to be absolutely perfect to our techniques. So, you know... When you look at someone like Sporting Lisbon that have produced a Ronaldo or a Charisma, you know, look at that skill. You look at the players Claire Fontaine produced, look at the skill level. They're a much higher skill level than the players that have been produced just playing football matches. And I think there's a misconception that in South America they just play futsal and that's it. If you actually spend time with River Plate and countries like that, um, clubs like that, they actually do a lot of unopposed technique as well as a lot of futsal, a lot of game based related. And I think what they've got is a good mix. And I think that's maybe something we've struggled with in England. You sometimes get the people that just do loads of unopposed stuff, which is wrong. You get the people that just play loads of games, which is wrong. You, it's all about a balance. And it's all about the right balance at the right ages, at the right time, depending on what you're working on. And that's where I think probably we're going a bit of a miss at the moment. So I think that's right. I think, listen, I think there was too much, you know, unopposed passing drills, which are low tempo, a bit static. You know, nothing that is an issue. But I mean, like I said, I think there's... Like I say, it's got to be a balance. I'm more in, all in favour of more opposed stuff, but like I believe as well, like you, that to get that elite level technique, that real top level technique, you need to spend time on the ball, you know, and an unopposed environment as well to really develop that. Thinking about your, um, sorry, go on. No, no, go on, Crowley. So talking about you, those, those some, of the, who are those some of those players you worked at, at Arsenal with that young age group? Those talk about some of these these players that have gone on to have success that have come out of this sort of this sort of system. So I think I think Alex is a really good example. Alex Awobi, Alex and Chuba are, are two great examples actually. That age group so was Chuba, um, Chuba Akpom, and Chuba Alex Akpom, Wobie. Yeah, Alex Awobi. Yeah, yeah. That age group out of the fourteen players that signed at under nine, ten are professional football players, um, which is incredible. Really, you've obviously got them two at the higher echelon, and then you've got players like Julian Banton that's a Sheffield United. You've got um, Frankie Kent who's playing for Colchester United, and I could keep going on. There's loads of them, and. I think you look at someone like Alex, who wasn't a standout performer at under nine. He was a good football player without a shadow of doubt. But if you had to put your hat on someone, you would put your hat on Chuba. And Chuba's done great, don't get me wrong. Um, but Alex, what he had was an inbuilt desire. His uncle, as everyone knows, was JJ Okocha. So he, he loved doing skills and that. And whatever you showed Alex, he would go away and practice. And he loved practicing it. And I think that's one of the things you miss if you don't teach that those technical-based type things at an early age. The kids will go and practice it again and again and again and again and again. And something they'll come back and say, look what I've done now, Danny. And Alex was very much like that. You know, if you're looking for someone who's passed the grit test over nine years in an academy football, Alex Awobi is definitely the, you know, the player that shines out. And I think you look at them two now, the, Alex is slightly ahead of Tuba at the moment, which is, which is fine. But both of them are technically very, very good players. And I think, you know, they're technically good players because... Arsenal continue continue to educate them well and they had a very, very good basis from the 7, 8 and 9 um, and I honestly believe that's really set them on the right path. But something like that age group on Saturdays before games, this was back when academies only used to train twice a week and then play. 
So I piloted a year. I actually did it free. I did. I told Arsenal I didn't want any money. I just wanted to see what they would be like if I could get them to a better level if they were training three times a week. And we used to train for two hours on a Saturday. And all they used to do was unopposed techniques for those two hours. They just used to work on different variations of finishing, different variations of passing, et cetera, et cetera. And the, the quality those boys showed at under nine that I haven't seen replicated. Wow. So then um, time comes to move across to make your next move. Where, where to another part of London. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I spent five and a half years at Arsenal, then made the tough call to go to Tottenham. Chris Ramsey had just moved back from America. John McDermott had taken over uh, recently at Tottenham's Academy. And Chris was a very important early mentor to me. Um, when I was at Barnet, he really helped us out, really talked through like, you know, his philosophy. It linked well with me and we, you know, we really got on quite well. Um, and, you know, things at Arsenal were, were good. I really enjoyed it, but I thought, yeah, a, a different challenge would be, uh, be a good one to take. So I jumped over. And then, yeah, spent the next five years working at Tottenham. It was difficult. Tottenham was certainly not the academy it is today when we joined. Um, it was very difficult. We had a very hard first year, big transitional year where a lot of players were released and a lot of players came in. Um, but very interesting. You know, John had a clear philosophy. He wanted the boys to play. Chris, you know, is a great coach. You know, he wants the players to be able to have lots of variations, different techniques, very clever coaches in in the world without a doubt and certainly the best I've ever worked with and had a big influence on what I do now and I think that Spurs really just helped refine the kind of things that I believed in football and uh, we were able to really go at it and really kind of push it hard and really just really make those boys as technically good as we could because we didn't have the best players when we first went in there you know we had to work really really hard and then over time as recruitment got better you know we got more and more top people I knew the, someone that was playing at his club and he comes through the door and it's like, we haven't got a player like this. So, um, yeah, interesting move without a doubt, but, you know, certainly one that was uh, was good at the time. Can you tell us a little bit about the philosophy there then, particularly we talked about, you know, it, it struck a chord with you. What was it? What was, uh, how does, what was the workings there? I think it was, we had to row our socks up and really work with the players. At Arsenal, the players were so good, particularly at an early age that, you know, you could be, poor as a coach and you could still win every weekend and I probably some of my failings as a coach that I when I was at Arsenal wouldn't have got shown up until I went to Spurs where some of my failings were showing you know you know you might get frustrated a little bit too easy you might not be looking at certain pictures that you should have been looking at you know you question whether at times you were working as hard as you should have been working because your players were so good where going back to Spurs you had to work with them and get going so I think it was a good reset uh, for me and kind of ironed out a few of the things that I weren't quite as good at to be quite honest with you um, but I think you know yeah John and Chris firmly believing this is how we want people to play this is how we want them to go with Ricardo there as well and it just meant as a coach like me you could just coach and just do what you believed in which I think is important at any football club you're at. So what was that philosophy what was the explicitly what did that look like then what was the you know the key fundamentals in the foundation phase for instance as a under nines coach what was what were the key fundamentals of that philosophy? So it was, they went complete extreme. So keepers weren't kicking the ball, which I don't agree with, but I don't agree with now anyway. Um, but basically play at the back, learn to play at the back, play through the thirds, have a skill, have a trick. Can you dominate 1v1? They were the key things that John wanted. You know, he wanted exciting players that could 
look after a football. He wanted technical players, not players that just got through on pace and power. He always used, you know, being quick and thick, those days are gone. You had to have intelligence, you had to have technique. And, you know, that was very much a philosophy that ran through 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 the club. Um, so, and that's that's not a very typical English way of doing things, right? Is, am I right in, in saying that? When you first went there, was that a bit of a... Yeah, it was very different, this? you know. Yeah, it definitely was. And you've got to give John and Chris and a lot of credit for kind of doing that. I think they knew they had to do something different, you know, and I think they couldn't have gone in there and just tried to replicate what others do because it wouldn't have worked. And they had a strong belief, as I say, in technical players. Um, it was hard because we didn't have the best players. But, you know, certainly some of those players that might not have stuck out, people like Tom Carroll have gone on to have a good career at the moment, doing well at Tottenham, you know, players like him wouldn't have stood out. And probably the most famous ones, Harry Kane, you know, who was released at Arsenal when you look back at that and you think that was a mistake because he was technically good, had a good brain. He just wasn't the, the athlete that people wanted. He came into Spurs at under 12, was certainly not pulling up any trees or anything like that, but technically worked hard, a bit like Alex would work. It's produced for him, you know, Andros Townsend, another player that was overlooked by Arsenal, ends up in Tottenham, right environment, right time, ends up carving out a good career for himself. You know, Ryan Fredericks is exactly the same, the lad at Fulham, released by Arsenal, goes into Tottenham, right environment, technically develops, now a, a, a good professional at a championship club. So, you know, it's it was a, it was an interesting project without a doubt. What about so what did the ball mastery and the one v one look like then in terms of in practice and working with Ricardo? What influence did he have in the academy? So Ricardo, he was working with the first team. But he still came in and worked with the eights or the sevens. It was unbelievable. He'd just run off one pitch and go on another. But it was just lots of turns, tricks, lots of one v one, lots of two v two. He'd put a three v three pit, like he'd play a three v three on a nine v nine pitch. Um, and he talked about developing the power even in the youngsters and the bravery and not being scared. And, you know, it was just basically a lot of unopposed, a lot of semi-pressure and a lot of pressure, but on very, very big pitches. Variations of finishing, you know, just everything was technical. If you struggled technically, you would fail until the point of you learned the technique. OK, now thinking about some of those players coming out now some of the boys uh, you talked to, you mentioned Marcus and let's talk about maybe Josh Onema <clears throat> excuse me let's talk, think about those players looking back reflecting what sort of you know environment did they come from what were they doing at the younger age groups we track back you know looking at their success they're having now or on the brink of it what, what were they doing in, in the foundation phase when they were eights nines tens so Josh came in um, we didn't have the best under nines group at that time um, and he came in and straight away stuck out we literally tried you know I wanted to sign him after the first session you could see he was the type of footballer that you know certainly we had at Arsenal beforehand um, and what was good he was he had good balance he was pretty quick um, he wasn't a bad finisher he just looked like a good footballer pretty intelligent and um, yeah really stuck out stuck out a mile and you know, by the end of the season, I remember we ended up having a bit of a fight with Chelsea. He scored six against Chelsea on the last game of the season and we still hadn't secured him. Um, and we were all a little bit nervous, but we managed to get him over the line in the end. And he's, uh, he's obviously progressed well. I had him then again at under 12s. So uh, that group I had at under nines, I then replicated and had them at under 12s. People like Chris McGoma and, you know, who's in the um, under 21s now. There's a lot of the 21s now at Spurs that were those nines that we signed throughout that season, if that made sense. So Josh... Josh just was a good football player, good work ethic, practiced hard, but just, you know, someone I would say you come in and he sticks out as a football player. So they, they would have done a lot of the unopposed stuff in the 1v1, that sort of thing? Oh, 
absolutely flooded between nine and 12. You know, that first 20 minutes was the 20 minutes I related to earlier. You know, that would be unopposed technique again and again and again, bit of one, one V one. And then in the sessions, there'll be unopposed passing all related to the game or explain to them why, why this is prevalent, why you're doing this. And a lot of decision-making unimposed as well. It's one of the things I think people miss with unopposed. You know, there's a kind of a passing rotation thing that we do where your movement and the pass you make is dependent on what movements others do and where the space is. But it's still unopposed. It's still doing your basics. It's just got a lot of decision-making in it. You know, it hasn't got pressure, pressure, pressure here, there and everywhere. They've just got a few things they've got to focus on. And yeah, yeah. That. And by under-12s, you know, we um, I remember a game we played in uh, Arusa in Spain and uh, in Villa Garcia. And um, we beat Real Madrid 2-0, played them off the park, technically better than every single one of the Real Madrid players. There's not many times you'll say that. Wow. And so what now, thinking about Marcus Edwards, that Tim Sherwood, you called him, you know, the best academy player he's ever seen. What's, uh, tell us a little bit about his background. So Marcus came in at under eight, um, as you can imagine, small. He had the hair already then sticking out. Um, left footer, didn't touch the ball with his right foot. But um, lots of tricks, little bag of tricks he was. Um, but really struggled to Im- uh, impact on the games. But even the, like the free v freeze we were doing, you know, he really struggled, got pushed over easy. You know, his desire at times wasn't great. But there was something definitely in there. The issue we had was um, a few of the full-timers at Tottenham didn't like him, didn't fancy him. So um, myself and you'll remember well, yeah. we had to almost hide him um, in the sessions. And um, when people used to come up, because we were training in the dome, people didn't notice. So we, we kept going with him. We thought we had something. We kept him going. We kept playing him in the development games. Um, and I remember he played a game against Watford um, and did really, really well. And eventually we got him over the line and got him signed. But, you know, that was only after a time of really keeping him back and working really, really hard with him to try and, get out what we thought we had in him. Um, and then we just worked him in every single aspect of his game to keep developing him, keep developing him. Technique really kind of flourish the um, natural ability he's got. And touching on your point earlier where, you know, some people would say doing unopposed techniques, stifle players, have a look at him. Ask Marcus, because I was speaking to him only a couple of weeks ago, ask him if... Uh, doing lots of unopposed techniques, stifled him. He'll tell you that it made him the player he is today because he was able to go and work on them and develop his game even further. And he's now got a good right foot. You know, he's proficient on it. You know, his left foot's fantastic, but he's so dynamic, so quick. And for me, his technical excellence is just a kind of a byproduct of all those bits that have been done over the, you know, years and years. And I think Tottenham have done a brilliant job of him, to be honest with you. You know, people like Justin Cochran and that have really kept working with him and made sure he's developed all the way through. And I think, you know, that just shows that intense technical kind of environment that's created at Tottenham has really helped someone like Marcus get to where he is. So it's interesting looking at players like that, those uh, those creative players coming from a structured environment, whether it's Awobi or, you know, Marcus Edwards. And, you know, a lot of people who, who are quick to criticise the academy system and say, you know, we don't... We can't produce creative players in there because you know it's too structured. Uh, it's too many coaches there. It's too you know coach-led. But you know, obviously, there's a lot of examples of uh, good players coming out of these sorts of systems. It, it is 100%. I think the issue is, as I say, 
too many inexperienced people in positions of power. And I think the, the issue, when I was learning, I didn't have Twitter and I didn't have Facebook. You know, I, I just about had dial-up if you were lucky to get anything. So I actually had to speak to people. I used to work seven days a week at Arsenal when I first went there. Um, and I used to get paid for two days a week, you know, because I'd sit there and I would watch Steve Bolden and ask him questions. I'd watch Neil Banfield. I was lucky enough to go and watch Don Howe and ask him questions. I was lucky enough to go and watch Arsene Wenger work and watch the Arsenal first team. But if I wanted, you know, I think the difference is now, you know, if I wanted a third man running practice, I watched Freddie Lundberg and watch what he did in the game. I watched what he did in training and I'd go away and build a session around that. I think now you look on the net, you find a third man running drill when you do it. And I think that's the fundamental difference from how I was educated as a coach to how you would now be educated as a coach, if that makes sense. You know, all the stuff I do is based around what I see on the pitch. You know, I'll take bits and bobs. There's some good bits on the net and saying like, you know, what the coaching family do and everything like that on Twitter is great. You know, I think they share the right things, but you've got to watch the game, design your practices around the game, design your practices around what you see and not kind of what you hear, if that makes sense. The details really what we should be coaching, not where the cones go. And so um, after Spurs then, you make another move? Make a, a random move to Brentford. Um, which was interesting. Um, Ozzy Abanji, who I work with closely at Arsenal and at Tottenham, um, moved there to take over as an academy director. Sean O'Connor, uh, who I'd worked with obviously for years, went there as the head of recruitment. Um, and they asked us to come in and run the 14s to 16s, which was a kind of the only age group that I had missing off my portfolio. I'd worked with 7s, 8s, 9s, 10s, 11s, 12s, 13s. You know, I had had that all in my locker and I thought, yeah, it might be a good chance to preparing um, players for, for their scholarships. So I took the punt. It was tough. The players were at an extremely low level when we went there. Um, so a bit like Tottenham, but worse, where we had to get rid of a lot of players, real big recruitment drive, but it's so hard when you're Brentford. It was hard when you were Tottenham. You can imagine me and Brentford being probably the smallest club you know, in London pretty much at that time with very little history of producing lots of football players. Um we had to work very, very hard. And the first 18 months was extremely difficult. Um, but we created an environment. We had a really clear philosophy, Aussie detailed down how we wanted the players to play. And it was very much, again, around the technical base. But with a bit more game intelligence, we allowed the keepers to kick it. If there was a 2v1 high up the pitch, then we would encourage a longer pass or a goalkeeper to kick it. Um, we played four diamond two which, you know, was a complete anathema to everyone. It's got to be 4 free, free but we're a big believer of... Uh, give an example. We played two in the middle because when we used to play three in the middle at Tottenham, if you ever used to change your shape, the two... If you went from a three to a two, the two really struggled because they always thought someone was covering them. So we And players were coming in going, oh, I'm a number 10 or I'm a four. We, we didn't like that. So we said, listen, you're a midfield player and we were fine. You were at an older age. So we played with two eights. We played with a diamond and it depended how wide we played that diamond, depending if we had a tricky winger or not. But it meant we could play some under-maturated players in the middle um, and just bomb our fullbacks on and play with two centre-forwards, you know, saying that people don't do. Um, and, you know, sometimes we might play them a little bit deeper as a 10 at times, but very much it was a, a four diamond two and people, you know, were calling us dinosaurs or whatever. And now you see loads of people doing it because it really does create a kind of pressure cooker of um of development and we went down to the very small detail of telling the, the players what we expected from 
from them all in those kind of positions. Um, and we lost games because we played four diamond two without a shadow of a doubt. But we think, you know, some of the players that are coming through and certainly the players, you know, people like Giancarlo that's gone to Man City and as I said, Josh Bowie that's gone to Man United and, you know, the players that, you know, are playing in, you know, Tom Field who's played in the first team now at Brentford, Bradley Clayton, you know, James Very, Reese Cole, all those players have come through that system. So um, it was interesting, it was hard, but, you know, within three and a half years of us being there, we went and won the Milk Cup with our 97 age group, the tournament, beat Everton in the final, which is a huge credit to the boys, beat CSK in Moscow, beat Liverpool in the semi-finals. You know, it just shows you what hard work and working with the players can do. And to those as well who don't like unopposed techniques, they were 14s, 15s, 16s. They came in, they worked on unopposed techniques um, with a mixture of the tactical stuff as well. But they were very much doing Ricardo 60s, Bucky 7s, cuts every single session, every single week, every month. And we turned players that were turned away from other clubs or players that um, had literally come straight off the park. Reese Cole hadn't even played in a professional club. He's now played for the first team at Brentford, literally off the park. And we managed to basically, you know, four years get them into the first team which is incredible really in, in, in this country but that was because we had an environment that we could make those kind of things happen you know and we worked but the work that went into those players from sports science physios to the technical staff was immense you know that was it was an exhausted six years at Brentford because you really did have to earn your little money that you do in football what was it like practically though from going from Tottenham, Arsenal previously, some two of the biggest clubs in the world into Brentford, no disrespect to like a smaller club, you know, what was it like in terms of, you know, the basic things like your facilities and your equipment and that, you know, was it a real big culture shock for you or was it a really big change? Yeah, it, 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 I mean, listen, I was at Barnet and, you know, I remember on Wednesday nights, we all had to, with the last half hour, we all had to train on the same seven-a-side pitch, and that was five age groups. So, you know, I knew what it was like back then with, you know, I had to design, co you know, sessions with one cone and one ball or something like that, you know. So it was reaffirming the brain a little bit. Um, the planes landing in Heathrow were the biggest problem because you had to time when you did your interventions. Otherwise, a jumbo jet was flying over and you couldn't hear, you couldn't talk to the players. But, um, no, listen, you know, at the end of the day, they're material things that, how much difference does that make to producing a player? Question mark. You know, as long as you've got balls, as long as you've got grass, as long as you've got cones and the right people, you know, that's what we very much sold that academy on. And listen, the owner at the time, who was, you know, obviously he's changed his mind now, he shut the academy, but, you know, two and a half million out of his own pocket for the, the fabulous dome they had at Uxbridge. You know, he definitely did invest to try and get us to, you know, the point of, you know, having some good facilities. But, you know, Jersey Road was Jersey Road. You know, the pitches weren't great. But our players had to get on with it. You know, and if we had to use that as an excuse, then we wouldn't have been doing our job. You just got to get on with it, roll your socks up. You know, what kit we did have, you get on with it. You know, people have this perception that we had a massive budget at Brentford. We definitely didn't have a massive budget at Brentford. You know, the owner building the dome was a nice to have without a doubt, and we were lucky to have that. But it was, you know, it, w it was hard. And, you know, you just got on with it, you know. But I enjoyed it. It was, you know... You know, it's definitely one of the highlights of my coaching career. You know, I'm not a massive one with winning and that, but that day when we won that Milk Cup, beating Liverpool the day before, fairly, out playing Everton, playing them off the park on the day after, you know, and those boys kind of lifting that trophy in front of the owner who flew over there in his private jet because he's never seen Brentford really winning anything. I think you look at what Oz, Sean, me and the other staff all did in those kind of 
No, that was one of the highlights, definitely, of the last 22 years, without a doubt. Okay, excellent. So, um, what? Who just you talked about? Obviously, Chris Ramsey being a, a big mentor in your in your career. Uh, what other coaches would you say have had a big influence on the way you do things, or who have you seen that have really, you know, affected the way you you as a coach? Um, I think uh, watching Don Howe and Neil Neil Banfield in my first year at Arsenal definitely big influences. Um, just the way they got things crossed to players. You know, you speak to anyone. I was, you know, I met Don maybe five, six times. You know, every single time I met him, you know, he, he, the learning was ridiculous. I'd go home and spend about an hour writing notes. It was just mad. Um, so they had a big influence, how they delivered things, how they got things across to players, how they set things up. Their practice design, you know, before practice design was even something that people were saying was kind of above anything I'd ever seen. Um, so they were big influences. Chris, as I've touched on, Ricardo, I think I've never seen anyone in England have the approach that Ricardo had towards skills coaching. And I think, you know, he just showed what could be done. And I think, you know, he just kind of took the kind of ethos I had for skills coaching onto another level, mainly around the 1v1 going round players or going over players. He didn't do much on the passing side and stuff like that, but I think he had a had a big influence there. Um, if you just... Randley, someone who's not a coach, uh, Sean O'Connor, recruitment. Okay. You know, I keep hearing terms that, you know, this club's a, co a coaching club and everything like that. No club's a club without players. Recruitment's the most important thing and what I've learned off him about what players have got and what to look for and how he approaches it and that makes a big difference to me as a coach because, you know, we we need to see those things as well as just coaching the players because we need to see things that are right and wrong. And it's amazing what you can learn off recruitment staff as well. Um, so I just, you just broke up at the end there, but I think we got that about Sean O'Connor. Thanks for that. Just, um, just quickly, Dan, you talked about going over, going round, your 1v1. Do you want to just want to elaborate on that? Because obviously not a lot of people will understand that, especially not in England, because obviously there's, it's not a great, you know, it's not a co very coach subject. Um, so going over players is basically um, taking a player on face-to-face -face and going around is, um, with, your, with your back to play and stuff like that. So um, it, it's a term that um, Ricardo used a lot. Um, and it's a term we've used kind of since going forward, really. So would you then, in theory, if you're looking at the way you approach 1v1, uh, would you then, you know, split that up? Would it be, you know, how long would you spend on each of that? How would you approach that, those two different areas of 1v1? It depends. Monthly topic. You can't just work on it randomly. You can't just go, right, today's 20 minutes, I'm going to do this. So, you know, same like a defensive month, it needs a variation. If you're doing counter-attacking month and you're working on going over players, perfect for counter-attacking month um you know if you're doing playing through the thirds very good month for going around players so you know it's all applicable to what you're working on and if you're not going into that level of practice design then you're kind of killing the players to be quite honest with you and again i think it goes back to the point where i think this is the mis misconception of technical work i think people do it for doing its sake not doing it for a specific reason and I think it's all dependent on what your monthly topic is, your weekly topic is, your daily topic is, and then kind of just build your kind of whether you're going to go around, go over. But I must say, one of the most undercoached things, I think, is um, the going around players, players who've got that ability to twist and turn and receive it with a player behind them. I think a lot of players struggle with players behind them. And I think it's something that's undercoached, to be honest with you. 
And I think I certainly undercoached it in my early years without a shadow of a doubt. You know, I look back on that and think I definitely didn't do enough of that. And it was saying towards the end of Tottenham and certainly at Brentford, I did a lot of. And I think it, it made a big difference. I think you're right. I think there's a, if you look at classic 1v1 practices, it's a lot, lot of, you know, nine, nine out of ten or even more is going to be people constructing a practice where someone's dribbling at a player. Whereas, you know, I think in that one, how many times do we work with players or someone right up behind them? And obviously, you know, man, that really being, you know, probably more difficult technique to deal with, you know, in that, in that situation. It also makes a move. You know, a, a lot of my 1v1 or 2v1 or 3v2 practices are now sparked on movement and you receiving the ball, you're back to goal or your movement's got to be good enough so you can front the player up. But it's all, And I think that's where you kind of get the multiple outcomes and the pressure cooker of, is your movement good enough to get you in a position to do X or Y? And then the defender's got to react to that. Um, you know, if the defender drops off, does he still take it on his front foot? Or if the defender drops off, does he then check his shoulder, turn out, etc.? You know, it's... It's just a more realistic way of starting your practices, in my opinion. So, um, speaking about different clubs now, have you been have you been anywhere else? Have you have you been abroad to look at clubs? Have you been anywhere else and seen other other like best practice that you can talk about? Well, I'm lucky enough that I've done over a hundred tours now in my old career. Um, so I've seen a lot of different clubs. I've seen a lot of you know I've been to you know pretty much every continent apart from Africa in a in a in a footballing sense. Um, and seeing just a complete variety of how people do stuff, different clubs doing things. You know, when we were at Sporting Lisbon, I was touching on, you just see an absolute extreme of taking players on and technical work. You know, when I was lucky enough to be in Spain watching Real Madrid, I watched the first team and Zidane would come out and work 20 minutes with a ball on his own, doing twists and turns and his cuts, and then the rest of the players would come out and then work 20 minutes with a ball, just working up and across a pitch. You go to South America, as I was touching on earlier, and you see, you know, the real in-depth technical work they do and a lot of unopposed pattern work, actually, which is, you know, would probably surprise quite a few coaches in this country. They do a lot of unopposed pattern work. And one of, one of the, the best ones we did recently was we, at Spurs, we went to Spain, went to Villa Garcia every year, which was fantastic, playing against Barcelona, Atletico Madrid, Valencia every year. And that was a real education, speaking to their coaches. But... I took a Brentford under-16s team to um, Barcelona 18 months ago and we had a real good chat with the coaches while we was out there about what they did with the younger age groups and that. And that was a real good education, a real good eye-opener. You know, I remember asking them, um, we were talking to them about sports science and they went, do you mean the physios? Like, no, sports science, have you got a gym? And they took us to this room, which was literally six by six with one mat in it and that was their sports science room for their under-16s. So, you know, it's... It's you've just seen so much in so many different countries, and I think you, you you hear a lot of things that in this country they do this, in this country they do that, and I think <clears throat> you might go and do one trip and then think that's what they do, and it's, it's not like that. You need to spend time and you speak to coaches. You need to play against these teams over a prolonged period of time to see what they do and why they do it. And you know, it's I've been lucky because I've been at top clubs that have allowed me to go and see those kind of things. You know, it's you know even at Brentford we were lucky that we actually went on quite a few trips. Yeah, a lot of countries, a lot of experience, and yeah, I've seen a lot of very different things. Okay, just a couple more things. I know, I know you've got, got many things to do, so I don't want to keep you too long, mate. Just, uh, we'll just say, some people have said the 10,000-hour rule is a myth. Um, it's just a big thing bumping around social media. Matt, what's your thoughts on that? Ask Harry Kane if he thinks it's a myth. 
he's definitely done his 10,000 hours and he's worked harder. Ask Alex Awobi if he thinks practicing hard made a difference. I think, you know, anyone who thinks you're born and you're a golfer or you're born and you're a footballer is crazy. You know, I think, you know, Matthew Side obviously has covered it very well in his books he's done. Um, and I think, you know, environment's a massive thing. You know, he talks about, you know, the fact that his older brother had a ping pong table and that meant he played ping pong. You know, it's, you've got to have the right environment and then be in the right places at the right time. And then it's down to the person to have that inbuilt desire to want to actually do it. You know, it doesn't matter, you know, your dad could have a football pitch in the back garden and you could play football every day. But if you haven't really got the desire to go and practice and be a footballer or have access to the top coaches that can help you become a football player, then you're not going to become a football player. So, you know, it's, you know, everyone has their own kind of path. You know, the boys from South America that might have grown up in the favelas or something like that, you know, they did their 10,000 hours playing on the streets. You know, I've probably done my 10,000 hours of coaching through the years that I've done it, you know, would I, you know, I'm, I've done okay with my coaching, but if you put me in a session when I was 13, no one would have said I was going to be a coach. You know, that happened because I went and worked at it. So I'm a big believer in practice. I'm a big believer in the right practice, not doing, you know, random practice is important. Proper practice is important. Practicing the right thing is what I touched on earlier. I think, you know, if you've got people teaching technical stuff that don't understand the technique themselves, that's a real, real what's gone wrong when people have teach stuff out of players and stuff like that in the past. But for me, 10,000 10, hour rule is absolutely, listen, it might not be 10,000 hours, you know, people get hung up a little bit on it. Um, but a lot of practice is vital. Beckham's a great example of that, isn't he? Hitting his free kicks against a tree. Would he be as good as he is if he didn't do that? Well, that's no why chance. I think, I mean, that's the thing for me is that it might not be a rule, but I mean, it's definitely a guideline. That's the thing, isn't it? You know, you don't get anywhere without putting the hours in. And I think it's like, yeah. it's, it's irresponsible, for, irresponsible for some people, some, you know, parent specialists to say, you know, it's not, it's not a rule and that you can somehow just think, all oh, right, I'm going to just go down to the local soccer school once a week and then I'm going to be a professional footballer. But, you know. No chance. And it's, the, I think the problem is with that going around Twitter as much as it is now from, you know, senior people, coaches are going to start believing it. And, you know, I think if coaches, coaches are starting to stop coaching and it worries me because I think people are starting to believe kind of, you know, they let the games be the teacher stuff and, you know, the kind of natural talent bits. It worries me a bit because then you could be a tree stump instead of a coach. I haven't, you know, for the last 20 odd years I've been doing it. I can't see how that would ever work. What's um, just finally last couple of things. What advice would you have for a young footballer, a young aspiring footballer? Just, you've got to be in the right environment. Don't be somewhere just because the badge is pretty or you support them or whatever. You know, you've got to be in the right environment. It's going to make you develop. I think you've got to be around the right people that you trust to help you develop. And I think you've got to do a lot of the work yourself. You know, the old excuse board. Don't look at excuses. Find a way of being able to practice as much as you can. Do the right practice. Watch football. Young players don't watch football much anymore for some crazy reason. Um, and I think, you know, spend the time that you need to to become the very best. And to do that, you've got to live and breathe it. You know, you've got to, if you really want to be a football player, then you've got to do it and become a football player. When you're eight and nine and 10, you know, you're doing it, you enjoy it, play cricket, play some other sports and everything like that. But if you're talented, 
make sure that isn't to the detriment of what you're you know you're showing some talent at and showing some good ability at um but once you start getting to the 15 16 it's, it's a job you're going for there you've really got to focus you've really got to apply yourselves and what i saw at brentford was the players that applied themselves became players the players that didn't that maybe were showing better signs at 14 didn't become players simple as that and what advice would you have for a young aspiring coach who'd like to work in academy football put the hours in very similar to what i've just said about a player uh, as, I, as i said to you you know i used to do seven days a week at arsenal and get paid for two you know uh, one of the issues we had at brentford if you weren't paying them they weren't coming in and uh, i just don't i just can't get my head around things like that you know, if, if I'd have insisted on being paid, I wouldn't have been able to watch Don Al, I wouldn't have been able to watch Neil Bamfield. You know, I remember I used to go and watch on Thursday nights Neil and Steve and Dermot work with their under-14s, 15s, 16s. And, you know, after a long time of watching, they started getting me involved. And then when they saw kind of the individual technique bits, they actually gave me the first half hour to go and work with the players. And that meant I had access to go and work with, you know, Kieran Gibbs, Henry Lansbury, Jack Wilshire, you know, Sanchez Watts, you know, some of the top players in the country at that time, you know, I wouldn't have had that if I hadn't put myself out and put myself in that position to go and learn and work. And that's the big thing. I think the difference between, you know, the coaches, the younger coaches I've seen now, um, you know, as a young coach at Fulham now, Joe Maloney, who was a player with us at Brentford, and he's definitely followed that philosophy. You know, he stopped playing. He spent loads of time coming in, watching, asking questions, and I think he's got a good future ahead of him because he's got that mindset. But that seems a rarity now. You know, people want to get their money, and I think they think they see Sank on Twitter and they think, that's it, I don't need to go and watch someone work. Where the little details, you know, watching Steve Bold do a defensive session, you get miles more out of that than anything you'll ever see on Twitter, with all due respect to the things that get put on Twitter and stuff like that. I was able to have exposure to that. And I think you've got to find an environment where you can get that kind of exposure and get that kind of learning and, you know, just spend as much time as you possibly can learning different things and keep an open mind. I think towards the end of Arsenal, I probably started to, my mind was closing a little bit. And I, as I touched on before, I think that was one of the bonuses of the Tottenham move. Kind of reset, you know, started opening my mind up a little bit more. And I think that made a big difference to me then going forward. Because, you know, having a closed mindset is just a disaster. Danny, thank you so much. Uh, appreciate Pleasure it. All. Amazing insight. And, uh, yeah, thanks very much. Good luck. And uh, I'll speak to you soon. No problem. Thanks all. Thanks for tuning in to the MyPersonalFootballCoach.com Soccer Player Development Podcast. MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Dynamic Ball Mastery Program is the world's leading online individual technical training program, proven and developed at the highest level in the English Premier League. Sign up now to train like the pros and take your game to the next level. Master the ball, master the game.